Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are our hope. You are the rock we stand upon, Father. Our hope is in thee. And Father, we know that because Christ died and rose again from the dead, we too shall live. Father, help us, Lord, to not get discouraged in the journey of this life and in the trials and suffering that we may have to endure. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And now we ask your blessing upon our time in the word, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles with me tonight, let's turn to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, as we continue our series entitled Alien Life. Alien Life. And again, that, of course, refers to the believer as being what Peter has already mentioned and called us, that we are aliens in this life, in, in this world. We are foreigners. This is not our home. We're not citizens of this world. <clears throat> and now we are moving to chapter 3. So we've come already to chapter 3. We're going to look at the few verses here, uh, verses 1 through 7 tonight. Um, and now, as you recall, <clears throat> In chapter 2, Peter, his, his main focus and the subject he was concerned about was the Christian, the believer being submissive in all things as it pertains to any authority in our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. He began, of course, with government. So whether it be a heathen government, a Christian government, if it were the Jewish nation and a holy government, righteous government, or at that particular time, it was Rome. And yet Peter was instructing us to respect and obey the authority of the government, the governing authorities who are over us. Of course, we talked about it. That that does not mean that we are to, if the government uh, puts in laws that are contrary to God's word and and they try and force us to disobey God's word, that is when we take a stand and say no. And then, of course, as we continued the rest of chapter 2, he then began to talk about um, the master-slave relationship in ancient times there, where the, the master and slave both had a responsibility the master had a responsibility to, for those who he was governing in his home as servants or slaves to treat them well, to honor them as a fellow brother and those who were Christians, fellow brothers in Christ, but then for the servants to obey their master, be submissive to their masters. And so now Peter comes to a third category. And this is the fun category. As if you know chapter 3, it is on the subject of marriage. We've arrived at marriage. And guess what? The first six verses we're going to look at are all about women. And there's one verse for the men. Isn't, Isn't that great, men? 
Aren't you glad that uh, we got off the hook a little bit here? Well, you'll be surprised when we get to our verse, uh, you know, that there, there was, uh, it puts us on the spot. But, of course, as I look out over the audience here tonight, and uh, those of you who have, have been down the, the road of marriage, uh, if your loved one is gone or you're, uh, you, you're still married, whatever the case may be, um, you, you could pro- every one of you could probably get up and teach on this chapter. So, you know, so uh, you're going to hear things that you've heard before. But it's, it's, the wonderful thing about God's word, I found, is that every time you study a passage that, that maybe you've studied over and over through the years, suddenly the Lord will open your eyes to a, something new. Something new that that you never saw it quite that way before, or you never understood it that way. And so my prayer is that we all, as we look into this passage, maybe there's something that we we just we've heard it all. I know you've heard all of you have you know uh, so many years in church and teaching Sunday school and and everything else. Uh, so maybe you might end up falling asleep because. You, you know, you know this so well, but maybe there's something the Lord has for your heart and mine tonight. So we're going to pick it up at verse one. Let's read it together. In the same way, Peter goes on, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Now that I'm reading again out of the New American Standard here, Standard Version. Uh, the, tra- the King James Version translates it this way. Likewise, likewise, instead of in the same way, but that's what it means. Likewise, Ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste and a conversation coupled with fear. Now, if you have a King James Version, uh, that's that can be confusing. That's some of the things that uh, when you read the King James Version, it's the Old English, they've used words that we don't use anymore to describe something. And so the Old English, they use the word uh, uh, conversation of the wives. So it sounds kind of interesting when you, when you read there they, that they also may without the word be one by the conversation of their wives. Well, one by the, the, the conversation, you suddenly think, well, that's the wives talking. But of course, that's not what that word means in the Greek. It literally, it literally means to uh, have a proper behavior. It talks about our behavior. What kind of behavior does the wife have? So that's what the word conversation refers to. So just so we understand. And 
Here the, uh, uh, here the Apostle Peter, he starts out verse 1 by saying, in the same way. Now that is a key phrase as he, as he uh, puts that in there. In the same way, wives be submissive. So what is the in the same way therefore, okay, or likewise? It's because he had just finished talking in chapter 2 about the government, being submissive in the government, then being submissive in the, the home with master and the slave or servant relationship. So he's already talked about submission, but now he's coming back into the home and the interpersonal relationship between a husband and a wife. And so that's why he says, so in the same way, he's trying to say, I want you to really get a grasp of what submission is all about to anyone who may be in a position of authority. And now he's coming to the home. He's speaking to the home. And boy, if there is a passage of Scripture that has created more uh, controversy in our Western culture, it's this. Because of the whole, it goes back to when the women's live movement started and and suddenly, you know, it was the equal, equal rights of women. And then they started tearing into the Bible because what's this, this thing about submission? You know, obey your husbands or be submissive. And so right away, uh, they take the Bible, many of them, and, and just said, well, this, 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 this book is wrong. Can't, you don't, you know... We aren't submissive to our husbands or obey our husbands. There's no way. Uh, we are equal. But uh, here we're going to see that when, and I love the picture that God gives us, because the picture, of course, of the marriage relationship is a physical picture of the spiritual picture of heaven and the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And so we're going to see that, how, how that plays into this. <clears throat> but, but he says here, be, be submissive. Now this word submissive is the Greek word hypotasso. And it means to be subject, to subject oneself, but to subject oneself voluntarily. It means to submit to someone voluntarily. So Peter's saying to the wife, wives, you must choose to be submissive to your husband. Now, why is it that way and not the other way around? And of course, uh, Peter is concerned about the, the believer, the wife that is a believer who is married to a non-believer. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. But again, understanding God's uh, relationship with the Son, God has always been a God of order. And 
And he has, there, there's always been a, you might say, a chain of command, like the military. Any of you men or women that have been in the military, you understand the chain of command. And you may have a general who is above everybody else, but it doesn't mean that that general is any better than you, right? Or any sergeant, anyone over you in the service, they, are, they were never better than you. They, were, they, didn't, uh, you know, they weren't considered uh, better character or anything else. You were on equal footing in that area. But what were they given? They were given by the government and a position of authority over you and over others that are not as high in command and position, of course. And basically, that's the way God made up the Christian home. He intended for the man to be what Paul has referred to, uses the word head of the home. But again, that gets misconstrued, misunderstood, because all of a sudden the idea is thrown out there, well, that's the master-slave relationship, you know, or uh, the, the husband's the king of the castle and he's the master and everything goes, what he says goes and all that. It, it's not referring to that. Paul was trying to explain, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be seeing that in just a moment, uh, explaining uh, the relationship between husband and wife. And just as God the Father, God the Father is the supreme authority in heaven. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, is under the Father's authority. Is he not? And you go through all, you, all the New Testament, and what do you see Jesus doing constantly through his earthly ministry? He was... He was constantly telling people he was there to do his father's business, to do his father's will, to say the words his father gave him to say. And then it all culminates, of course, as we men study on Wednesday night when we reach the Garden of Gethsemane, when the Lord Jesus had to go to the cross. And there again, that was the plan of the father. The plan of God the Father was to send his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. And so there, the son, Jesus Christ, who, who was God, fully God, but took on flesh. And now he was at the point where he was going to carry the sins of the world upon himself. And he was going to die for our sins. It was at that point, the thought and the, and the intense emotion of of getting so close to knowing that he was going to become the sin sacrifice he cries out to his father in prayer so hard so earnestly three times father if it be so if it if you are willing remove this cup from me Remove this cup from me. He's talking about the cup of carrying the sins of the world. Not just physical death, but, but carrying all our sins. Lord, uh, Father, if there's any other way, you know, can you remove this cup that I don't have to go through with it? 
But you remember what Jesus said. The greatest words ever spoken in all of history, I believe, Jesus the Son said, Nevertheless, not what? My will, but thy will be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so what does that tell us about the Lord Jesus and his relationship with the Father? It shows us that Jesus was ultimately seeking to be submissive to his Father's will. Yes, Jesus could have said, wait a minute, I don't want, you know, I'm God too. He was fully God. He was a son. And he he could have said, I'm not going to go through with this, Father. But no. What he did, he, he stayed obedient to the Father's will and went through with it. And therefore, we have our salvation today because the Son was submissive to the Father. And so there's the picture. The Father has a position over the Son in heaven, and yet they are both equal in character. They are both equal in divinity. And so it's important to understand that, and that's the same picture we have for the home, the home here on earth. The husband, God directed that the man would have the, the highest, highest position in the home, then the wife would have the second position in the home. But it does not mean that one is better than the other. Or, <clears throat> but they are both equal in God's sight. But there are roles, just like in the military, God has given the husband, the wife, the children, roles to perform in the home so that there would be harmony and blessing from the Lord. And so that's why he's talking here about submission. It's because of the position that God has has given, uh, laid out for the family, and uh Turn to it now, Ephesians chapter 5. If you'll go with me over to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll pick it up at verse 22. Actually, yeah, 22. Ephesians 5, 22. If you'd follow along. Wives, be subject or submissive to your own husbands, just like Peter saying, as unto who? The Lord. So if, if, if a wife is seeking to be, uh, be submissive to the Lord, then she should follow in obedience to the Lord, what the Lord wants by being submissive to her own husbands, which means allowing him the position God has given him to have the final say in the home. But it doesn't mean that you don't discuss matters. It doesn't mean you don't work it out together and come to a conclusion. And the husband always has to take the wife's uh, ideas, thoughts, and and, uh, advice into consideration as well so they can do it mutually. But ultimately, God is going to hold me as a husband accountable for the final decisions in the home, in, in, in the family. 
So then he says, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. There's that word again that I mentioned. Paul uses it, for the husband is the head of the wife. And again, it's not master-slave, but this is where Paul's referring to a position, uh, a divine position God has given man to be the, the leader of the home. It's just like in the government too. We have a president, we have a vice president. Let me ask you a question. If we had two presidents in the White House, how do you think things would go? Well, well, we won't get it going into details about the possibility. But you can just imagine two people have the same position and they're supposed to make a decision. And each one has, feels that they're the one that needs to make the decision. That's sadly what has happened to the American family. That many times everybody, you know, the, either the husband is forcing his will in, 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 a, in, a, in a mean way or trying to be, act like the, a master in the home and, and, and very abusive to his wife then he is sinning against God. And just the same, if a woman wants to say, I'm running this, this home, you know, you're going to do what I say. You have two heads, two positions that are exactly the same. There's not going to be peace and harmony. It's not going to function properly. And so that's what Paul is saying. And this is just the way God laid it out. Paul didn't lay it out this way, but this is God speaking. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He gave himself being the savior of the body. And here the apostle Paul gives the spiritual application of the church and Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the, the body, of, uh, head of the church, and then all we as the body of, are considered the body of Christ, uh, we hold him in high esteem. And so he's saying, wives, you should hold your husbands in respect, in a place of honor and respect, even if they don't treat you right. And, and then we'll go back to Peter in a moment and see uh, how a wife is to deal with a husband uh, who is not obeying God's word and perhaps not saved. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject uh, to their husbands in everything. But then he comes to the husbands and he says, husbands, and now it's interesting that the apostle Paul does the reverse of what Peter did. Peter spends six verses on the wife, one verse on the man, on the husband. Paul here spends three verses on the wives, but then he's, he, he's going to uh, do what? It, it's, it's almost uh, uh, nine verses on the man, on the husband. So now quickly, let's read this concerning we as husbands. Husbands, love, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. See, it's a mystery. That's why people can't grasp it. And people have, both husbands and wives, they'll struggle with this. People will struggle in trying to grasp this um, the, the, the roles in, in the family. But it's a picture of Christ and the church. It's a great mystery. The mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, verse 33, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself and let the wife see to it that she respect or reverence or honor her husband. So here we have it laid out by the Apostle Paul, okay? So that will help us in going back to understand what the rest of what Peter's going to say. So let's go back to 1 Peter. If you would join me back in 1 Peter chapter 3. So there in verse 1 again, Peter is concerned about the wife who may have a husband who's difficult to live with who is not obeying the word and they're disobedient. Look at verse 1 again. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them, the husband, are disobedient to the word, what word? The word of God. They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, chaste and respectful behavior. Here we have Peter laying it out for the wife, saying, do you want to win your husband to Christ? Do you want him to turn and begin to obey the word? How do you do that? It's not by telling him what to do, right? It's not by words, because it's, it's so easy for us to tell someone, well, this, you're doing it wrong. This is how you need to do it. You're out of line. You're, you're not following God's word. And the, the wife, uh, the Christian wife sometimes can get so um, combative with the husband because the, the husband is not spiritually discerning, not, is not a spiritual man. And therefore, what is she to do? to win him to Christ. It is to be silent about those things, but live out the Christ-like character in front of him. To live out a chaste behavior and a, a life that, that, that basically is, is honorable and, and the husband cannot say anything. They, you know, there's not the the, the, the attacks that, that, why don't you become a Christian? Why are you saved? You obey God's word. That's not what God's word says. But now, of course, when it comes to, oh, if the husband were to 
ask the wife to disobey God's word, there again, just like government, the wife must resist anything that where the husband would say, we're going to do this, you're going to disobey God's word, and you know it's, it's, it's committing a sin. That is when you, you take a stand for Christ. But here we see again that a husband is won over by the behavior of his wife, the Christian wife, as they, the husband will observe that respectful behavior. But then we come to verse 3. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Now, New American Standard just has the word dresses there. <laughs> so, so, you know, all of a sudden, but yet if, if, you, <clears throat> um, if, if you have another version, the King James uses the word apparel. You have that there. Or NIV uses the, the, the term fine clothing. When it comes to that word there in the Greek, uh, it generally means garments in general. You know, the idea of gaining beauty by putting on some nice clothes. Okay, so that's what he's talking about here. So he says, let not your adornment be, and I love what the New American Standard puts in there. Let not your adornment it doesn't say just let not your adornment be external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on fine clothes. No, in the Greek, the literal meaning there is let not your adornment be merely external, merely external. Can you understand? Can, can you grasp this? He's not saying wives just walk around in sackcloth and you know don't dress up, don't use makeup, don't use jewelry, don't look not you know don't all that because that's all worldly. He's not he's not saying that, but in the Greek understanding of this passage, he's saying don't just try and look nice. Ladies, wives on the outside, and be so concerned that that is all you're concerned about is the outward appearance. Because it's so easy for us to get so concerned, whether it's it's a wife or a husband or any of us, uh, to be concerned about the outside of us. You know, how we're dressing, how we look. You look in that mirror, and you want to look younger. We want to look, you know, better. But... Peter is concerned about the heart of the wife and the heart of a woman. And it should be the same for a man. But look at verse 4. But let it be the adornment. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. See, he's talking about the inward character of a woman. That's what he's concerned about. He's saying, ladies, 
Are you concerned with the beauty on the inside? Because that's what will win over your husband. And that's what will glorify God and bring honor and praise to him and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's basically saying, don't just worry about the exterior, but look on the heart. And that takes me back to uh, David. David, why was David, you know, why was David so different than King Saul? You know, when you read about King Saul, he was taller than everybody else. He was more handsome than everybody else. He looked kingly. He looked like he's going to be a great king. But you know what happened to Saul. There was a problem in here. But God then says, I have a replacement. I want that young shepherd boy right there. Samuel, go get that shepherd boy because that boy, that he is a man after what? My own heart. He is a man after my own heart. You see, God was concerned about the, the inner man of David, not the exterior. And that's what God is concerned in our homes, in our families, in our relationships. He's concerned about my heart and 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 my spirit and do am i concerned about my attitudes my 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 reaction to things and am i truly producing the fruits of the spirit it all comes down to those fruits of the spirit that only the spirit of god can produce in my life because i still have that old nature that wants my way you know but but here peter is saying Ladies, be concerned about the, the, the hidden person of the heart, which is imperishable, that quiet and gentle spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. There's a treasure before the Lord. And then he goes on, verse 5 and 6, For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. So back in uh, the days of old, uh, the, the Jewish wives, they sought to, um, you know, at least they, they tried, what they were concerned about was how, what, what was their character like on the inside? Were they growing spiritually? Was God pleased with the inner person? And so here Peter pulls out someone from the Old Testament, verse 5 again. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God. Hoped in God. There's the key. It's their relationship with God first before they could have the right relationship with their husbands. Who hoped in God used used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Verse 6. Thus Sarah obeyed. Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now, here again is one of those verses that has sent many women over the edge when they read this, and they basically say, get that Bible out of here. Don't want any part. What, what is this? that Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord? There's that master-slave stuff. 
But again, that's not what Peter is talking about. Peter is not, not, uh, not saying this is a master-slave type relationship. But Sarah, and by the way, if you look at Sarah's life before she had Isaac, take a good look. Go and study her and watch and, and check her, her, her relationship to Abraham before she had Isaac wasn't too good oh she was ornery and she would she would you know she wanted things her way you know and and she was tough to live with until till god came to her and says i promise you a child and then she believed god for that promise and god gave her that promise in her old age of giving her a child and that changed her for life and then she began to realize i need to honor my husband, have the right kind of attitude in art. And she began to work on her, on her, her heart and her attitudes towards Abraham. And so, and that word Lord, calling him Lord, just is basically, it's not master, you know, over, like over master, over slave. It's basically giving Abraham the rightful position in the home of being the leader, the final say in the home, that you are, God has placed you, Abraham, as the head of the home, the leader of the home, but of course, that doesn't mean that, that she's subservient to him, that she's a slave and he can do anything he wants, and it, it, it doesn't mean that at all. And so it's, it's misunderstood, this, this uh, particular uh, verse. But here, so that Peter lays out again, and again, a lot of it, Peter's concerned about winning over, the wife winning over an unbelieving husband. But now we come to verse 7, and let's wrap it up with verse 7. You husbands, likewise, now he gets to the husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel. Since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that, what? Your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Now here again, here is one of those verses that the women will take and get, get that away from me. Women today, no way. What do you mean we're weaker vessels? You know, and and then, you know, and and so they they just can't accept that idea. But what Peter is basically talking about is the way God made men and women. He made them different. Physically, basically, men were made physically stronger than women. Now, I know there are occasions where it's the opposite, but for the most part, when talking about a vessel, the men are usually stronger. And so there's no way that many women didn't want this. They wanted to prove this verse wrong. And so, so they, you know, so again, there's, but again, this does not mean just because it uses the term weaker vessel, it, it, it also may refer to uh, the emotions. The emotion, emotional makeup of a, man, of a man is different than emotional makeup of a woman. And so, uh, so a husband, now, Peter's focusing on husband. He's saying, 
I want you to live with your wife. God wants you to live with your wife with understanding. Understanding that she's not the same makeup as you. That she is weaker physically. Perhaps she's, uh, ha- she has struggles with thing- things differently emotionally. You better live with her in a different way. Don't expect her to be just like you. But you must love her as Christ loved the church. And he says there, live with her with understanding. And sometimes that hard, that's hard, isn't it, husbands? To really live with our wives with understanding. Because we go, what are they thinking? You know, and the, our wife will, will do something that, that, that we never, we wouldn't have thought that way or done it that way. And, you know, and there can be conflict. But we must be, as a husband, live with them with understanding and love the rest of verse 7. And grant her honor as a what? Fellow heir of the grace of life. Honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. The key word fellow heir. What is that telling us? What we said way in the beginning. That God created the husband and the wife to be equal in his sight. Even though he has put uh, different uh, positions in the home. Different roles. But he's saying, husbands, don't look down on your wife. Look on your wife as your equal. And especially before God and the kingdom of Christ. That she is a fellow heir of Jesus Christ. And before Christ, there is no higher or lower. You are, look at her. She, you are, you are, she's a sister in Christ to you if she's a believer. And therefore, you need to love her and, and respect her and under, live with her in an understanding way and honor her. And oh, how many times we failed that. And the the last part of verse 7. Why should we do this, husband? So that your your prayers may not be hindered. Sometimes, husbands, we may wonder why our prayers haven't been answered. Why we're struggling to pray. Why, Why something hasn't changed. And many times it can fall back to this. That I have not honored my precious wife the way I should. I've not treated her as an equal. And I have not loved her as Christ loved the church. And if I don't grant her that honor, God's going to say, guess what, husband? Don't pray, don't pray until you get things right and start loving her the right way and honor her. Because I'm not going to answer your prayer. Oh, that we might take this seriously, husband. And that we might truly honor and love them the way we should. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for giving us understanding, Lord, on how you created the family, the family unit on earth, Father, that it is a picture of the heavenly relationship you have with your Son and the Holy Spirit who is under this, this Son's authority. Father, help us to grasp these roles, but help us to be submissive to one another, as the scriptures tell us, 
and to honor one another, and to esteem one another, and to exalt one another in the home as well as outside the home, Father. Once again, Lord, if, if we are living at this moment in an area of disobedience, I pray that, that you might reveal that to us, Lord, whether we be a husband or wife, that we might truly know that you are answering our prayers and our prayers would not be hindered. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.